Last Friday was Earth Day, a movement that began 46 years ago to give voice to the concerns the global community was having about our environment. The work of Earth Day's leaders has called attention to the need to build a healthy, sustainable environment for this and for future generations to enjoy. Today, Earth Day is the largest secular observance on the planet. It is celebrated by over one billion people worldwide. That first Earth Day celebration back in 1970 was a bipartisan effort, chaired by a Republican senator and a Democratic senator who came together to launch a worldwide environmental movement that has resulted in landmark legislation to protect animals, to protect air quality, to protect water quality, to protect land usage, to protect human rights. Over the years, as these leaders have witnessed how interconnected everything is, they have worked to broaden the scope of environmental work to include issues that affect our health and our communities. The eco-justice values of Earth Day and its organizers have consistently been far ahead of worldwide religious institutions. It took the actions of these environmental leaders to help us hear and heed God's call to care for creation. This call that echoes from the very beginning of God's story as recorded by the Hebrew people, right in the very first chapter of the book of Genesis. We often miss it because we get caught up in the 26th verse, which tells us that we were created to have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. That word dominion has given us trouble these many long generations. For too long, we have gotten caught up in the power we feel this word gives to us, and for far too long, allowed that understanding of dominion to steer our actions with regard to those things over which we believe the text gives us control. So much so that the words from the first part of today's reading from the book of Genesis get lost on us because we look at them as a confirmation of our dominion instead of what they really are. You see, in the 29th verse, we see God reminding us that all the seed-bearing plants are given, not, uh, are given to us as food. But in the very next verse, verse 30, we are also told that all the seed-bearing plants of the earth are also given not only to us, but to the animals of the earth as well. From the very beginning, we see God's intention. From the very beginning, we see God creating so that all may be fed. As we move through the stories of God in Scripture, we see again and again this very same theme. God working through Joseph in Egypt to feed the world. God providing manna in the wilderness so that the hungry would eat. God working through Ruth to ensure that Naomi was taken care of. In the Gospels, we hear the story of feeding a lot. 
It's the only miracle story that's reported by all four authors of the Gospels. And Matthew and Mark like it so much, they tell it twice. Almost the exact same story, six times. From the very beginning of the early church, we see God creating so that all may be fed. Here in the Gospel of John, Jesus goes up the mountain with his disciples. A large crowd follows them, of course, because they always seem to. And Jesus says to Philip, where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? The author says it was a test to see how Philip would respond. If it is a test, it's obvious that Philip failed. Because Philip replies, six months' wages would not be enough bread for any of them, for each of them. Andrew, another disciple, overhears the question and says to Jesus, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But instead of stopping there and having that become a prophetic announcement of belief in the work of Jesus, he adds, but what are they among so many people? Wah, wah, wah. I hear Jesus sigh as he listens to them. They still don't understand. As always, he's patient with their slowness, and thankfully, he's patient with ours. He tells the people to have a seat. He takes the boy's gifts and gives thanks. And everyone eats as much as they want. Everyone doesn't just get a little They get to feast, and at the end, there are 12 baskets of leftovers. From the very beginning of the early church, we see God creating so that all may be fed. The author of John makes a point here. He goes out of his way to tell us that from the hands of the youngest and most vulnerable, Jesus takes bread and creates enough so that all may be fed. In many ways, this reality is the reality of our lives. The food we enjoy that comes from this good earth, we have been given to sustain us, but too many of us are disconnected from who and where our food comes. Now, setting aside free trade agreements, I'm not going there. Each and every day we depend upon the powerless and the marginalized in this country who are giving us not only the fruits of their labors, but the best years of their lives to put food on our tables. And instead of receiving these gifts and turning around and blessing them, we hear too many stories again and again where these gifts are dishonored as people in power seek to exert their dominion over those who grow that which sustains us. For decades, Florida farm workers faced human rights abuses, including systemic wage theft, sexual harassment, health and safety violations, and in the most extreme cases, modern-day slavery. In Florida... Right here in the United States, in Florida, 
where many of us vacation all the time. To be honest, we see conditions like this every time we visit Bate 105. For 30 years, we've been going to the Dominican Republic. We see wage theft. We see sexual exploitation of the workers. We see, again and again, modern-day slavery at work in the Dominican Republic. And the very same conditions exist in Florida. In 1993, farm workers in Immokalee, Florida, united and began organizing to change this reality. These workers pushed for 10 years until they realized that the root of their exploitation actually not with the farm owners, but instead with the retail food industry. These brands were leveraging their unparalleled purchasing power to demand ever lower prices from growers, which in turn created downward pressure that perpetuated farm workers' poverty and abusive conditions. So as Taco Bell said, we want lower tomato prices, the farm growers turned around and took away wages from farm workers who were picking those tomatoes. Taco Bell turned around and took away all the safety measures that were in the fields to protect the farmers while they were doing their jobs so that they could maintain a profit margin. Well, the workers organized and demanded, not to the farm owners who were in a pinch, but to the multi-billion dollar corporations that they changed their practices. They demanded that companies support a wage increase by paying an additional penny per pound of tomatoes. A penny a pound. It's nothing. They required that human rights-based code of conduct be enforced on the farms that grow the company's tomatoes, and that workers play an integral role in that monitoring and enforcement of that code of conduct. The campaign's first target was Taco Bell, whose parent company is Yum Brands, the largest fast food conglomerate in the world. The workers tried to engage the company to no avail for years, until finally they called for a national boycott that lasted for four years. It included 25 college campuses that cut their ties with Taco Bell, which for college students is a big deal. (laughs) That boycott involved the Presbyterian Church USA and many other national faith denominations who stood with workers to demand justice. In 2005, farm workers and their allies won the first groundbreaking agreement with Yum Brands. And now, in 2016, they have 14 companies participating, including Burger King, McDonald's, Walmart, Subway, Chipotle. Tens of thousands of our farm workers are seeing never-before-seen rights in the fields, such as shade when it's too hot, water so that they can be sustained as they do their work, the right to file a complaint without retaliation, and the first real wage increases in 30 years from an extra penny per pound of tomatoes. For over three years, these farm workers in Immokalee, Florida, and consumers have been demanding that Wendy's join its major competitors in the Fair Food Coalition. Wendy's 
instead of signing up with this nationally heralded program, have chosen the pathway of dominion. They now purchase all of their tomatoes from Mexico, where the widespread denial of human rights in the produce industry was the subject of an in-depth expose in the L.A. Times. Rooted in the belief that the seed-bearing plants are given to all people, rooted in the belief that the seed-bearing plants are given to all creatures that were all bound together in this ecosystem, rooted in the belief that from the offering of the weak and the powerless, God took what was good and blessed it so that all may be fed. The Presbyterian Church USA is once again preparing to stand with the workers in Immokalee, Florida, to boycott Wendy's until the time that they exercise care for all God's people. This kind of stand is important for people of faith. We control how and where we use our financial resources, by the way, which come from God. We make our own decisions about who benefits from our patronage, and we have the ability and the privilege and the responsibility to help companies know and understand that we want more, that we expect more for their employees, for our brothers and sisters who are picking the food that we enjoy. We expect for employers to treat their workers with respect, to protect their human rights, and to offer a fair wage so that they too can eat from the table. With that in mind, These words from Genesis and from John call us to think about how we exert dominion over the earth and the many peoples who work it. I had many conversations about the possibility of this boycott over the past few months. In preparation for what I knew was coming, I began to talk with my children about it because truthfully we are frosty loving people. I wanted to prepare them that we would not be enjoying that frozen deliciousness for a long time. And as I talked with them about it, I was expecting World War III. But these amazing kids, who, by the way, gave me permission to tell this story, and my best guess is all of our kids got it right away. They understand fairness. They don't like to see others treated unfairly or be made to suffer. So with that in mind, they don't even blink an eye when we pass a Wendy's anymore. They are more concerned about the plight of the workers who pick the tomatoes that might end up on their sandwiches. We drive right on by a Wendy's, and when, by mistake, I turned in one day because I really wanted a Frosty, they were the first ones to remind me, Dad, what are we doing here? Get out of this parking lot. (laughs) They want to make sure that people are treated justly and fairly. I don't tell you this story to say what a great parent I am, because I actually think it has very little to do with me and much more to do with all of you. Because in all of you, 
they see people who work together for justice, who stand together and say that this isn't right. They've learned, not just from me, but from all of you, what fairness looks like. They've experienced by your hands loving kindness, gentleness, fairness. They've heard your words, and it's become a part of them. Your words that echoed from long ago until this very day. Among the many fabled and accomplished tribes of Africa, no tribe is considered to have more fierce warriors than the Maasai. It's surprising then to learn that the traditional greeting passed among the Maasai warriors was, and how are the children? It is the traditional greeting of the Maasai, acknowledging the high value the Maasai placed on children's well-being. Even warriors with no children of their own would always give the traditional answer. All the children are well, they would say. This meant, of course, that peace and safety prevail. The priorities of protecting the young and the powerless are in place. That the Maasai people had not forgotten their reason for being, their proper function, their responsibilities. All the children are well means life is good. It means the daily struggles of existence, even among the poorest people, include the proper care of the young and the defenseless. As one billion people around the world celebrated Earth Day this year, they were busy asking themselves, and how are the children? How are the poor and the marginalized? At my meeting of the Presbyterian Hunger Program last week, as we sat together with our faith partners and with our elected officials to talk together, we kept asking ourselves, and how are the children? How are the poor and the powerless? How are the neglected? From the very beginning of this church, we have been concerned with this idea. If you go out into the garth, which is the garden right between the chapel and the sanctuary, for those who don't know where it is, it's like our best little hidden secret. And you look on the wall, inscribed on the wall says, Is it well with the child? It matters that it's there, because yeah, now it's in the middle of our secret garden, but when this church was founded, that was our front door. So from our very beginning... As we came and as we left, we were asking ourselves, how are the children? In this place, where we remember that from the very beginning, God was busy creating so that all may be fed, we are called to ask ourselves and those around us, how are the children? How are the poor and the marginalized? How are the powerless and the belittled? How are God's children from whom we take the gifts of your creation so that all may be fed? Every part of our being wants to be able to say all the children are well. But we look around the world and we hear stories from Ethiopia, from the Dominican Republic, from Mexico, from Florida, 
from Baltimore, from St. Louis, from Chicago, from Cleveland, and we know that things are not well with our children. They are not well with our marginalized. They are not well with our powerless and belittled. We know there is work to be done. We know there are some of God's children who need us to hear their cries. We know there are some of God's children who need us to stand with them and use our voices to demand justice. We know there are some of God's children who need us to exercise our economic privilege so that others may pay attention. We know there are some of God's children who need us to work with them for righteousness. We know all of this, but we don't lose hope. And we don't stop asking, is it well with the child? Because we also know that from the very beginning, from the very beginning, God was creating so that all may be fed. Thanks be to God. Amen.